Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live in the Washington, D.C. area, Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Well, it's another week in isolation, but I'm getting used to it. Aren't in we the all? sound studio here, such as it is. Sounds and, good today. Well, very good, very good. Well, it's going to be an inter- interesting show today. You can actually lend some support to research on coronavirus using folding at home. You can let your computer help with some protein calculations. And we're going to talk about the product of the week, Microsoft Power Toys. That'll be a lot of fun. Zoom. Have you heard of Zoom bombing, Jim? I have not, but I'm about to. But I have a funny Zoom feeling bomb, I know what it is. You know, it's a, it's a, um, like it's a, uh, yeah, Zoom. You know, the Zoom, uh, Zoom video conferencing. So people are breaking into Zoom video conferences and uh, disrupting them, and they call it Zoom bond bombing. <laughs> it's getting to be a huge problem. Broadband speeds are down in big cities because everybody's home surfing yeah. the web. Yep. And Google. You know, you know how we talked about how, how how they track your location using the GPS on your phone. Mm-hmm. What Google has done, they've used that data and aggregated it, and they can tell how much social social isolation we're having in different locations. So they can show how the uh, workplaces are reduced in percentage of people there, the parks, mm-hmm. and you can do that in 131 countries around the world as well as different cities. We'll, we'll compare a couple of uh, states here in the U.S. using that data because Big Brother is always watching uh-huh. you. And now, of course, now they're saying that this cor- cor- coronavirus can spread just by breathing, so now they want people to wear masks. It's, uh, it's very um, – th- that mask guidance is changing almost every week. Yeah. Now, this week we're going to feature Thomas Reardon. He is the guy – who developed the Microsoft Internet Explorer, and he was in the middle of the browser wars with, they call it the first browser war, with Netscape. And he was also co-founder of Control Labs, which is a lab which is trying to allow you to control devices with your mind. It's an interest, this guy's an interesting, uh, got an interesting background. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Got an email from June in Burke, Virginia. Dear Doc, I've not set up my Fios router having two SSIDs for the two uh, bands, 2.4 gigahertz and 5.8 gigahertz. How do I do that? Thanks for the help, June and Burke. Well, let me explain it. Uh, Wi-Fi uses two unlicensed bands. They're used for a lot of things other than Wi-Fi. And those, you can actually use those bands as long as it's low power. And then there's nothing else in those bands like 
uh, broadcast stations. And one of the bands is centered at 2.4 gigahertz. The other band is centered at 5.8 gigahertz. And all the Wi-Fi routers have both of those bands there. It turns out the 5.8 gigahertz band gives better throughput. However, it doesn't penetrate. It, it has more bandwidth. Therefore, you can get faster speeds for video. But it doesn't penetrate walls as well. The 2.4 gigahertz bandwidth um, has uh, less bandwidth, but it penetrates walls better. So it's better for a whole house. Why is that? It, it just it's a lower frequency. As you go to higher frequencies, mm -hmm. it just it's it's absorbed by the uh, by the material in the walls. Gotcha. So so uh, if you don't name and that you know your Wi-Fi uh, router, you you have what they call an SSID. It's a broad it broadcasts out a name of the network. If you name both bands the same name, <laughs> you won't then know you're which letting, is which. Well, you're letting the router pick it out. Uh -huh. So the router picks whichever band happens to be a stronger signal there. And the problem is you may actually want to be at the 5.8 gigahertz band for, for video bandwidth. And you don't want – what's really bad is if the, if the router just toggles back and forth between two bands because they're almost equal. It just it's, – it's annoying. So what I do, I go into my router and I individually set up each band with a different name and I pick which band I want. So, June, what you've got to do, you got to log on to your router. She said she had Fios. So the Fios router, that web address is 1.92.168.1.92.1.68.1.1. If this will all be in the in the show right. outline that we post later on. And so this will bring you up to the log on screen of your router. So you've got to, got to put in the admin password and the uh, admin name, admin, and the and the password. And then once you get into the router, basically you click on wireless settings, and that'll bring up a window. And then you'll click on basic security settings. And the basic security settings list the five, the 2.4 gigahertz band and the 5 gigahertz band separately, and you can put in a, a different SSID. That's the broadcast name. And uh, what I do, I, like if, I just call it uh, the name dash 2.4. And I have the same name dash 5.8. That's wow. how, so there, so I can tell exactly what I'm logging on to. And then what you want to do is you want to choose the highest encryption for each band. I use WPA2. That's more secure. Set the password, and then you're good to go. It's it's very easy to set up different uh, different names. The default though that Verizon does, they 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 have both bands the same name, and they let the router pick which one you want to go with and. I like it. I like the choice of being able to go separately. Mm -hmm. um, we got an email from John in Kansas City. Dear Doc and Jim, I've started a new blog, and I'm confused by the traffic statistics. They've got hits, page views, and visits. What 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 are those specifically? Good question. Well, <clears throat> it turns out whenever uh, a website receives a hit, every time a single file is accessed. On the website. So, for instance, if you got a web page which has nothing on it but just the web page HTML code, when you access that web page, it will show up as one hit. But now, suppose that that web page has five pictures on it. Each picture that's downloaded to the browser is viewed as another hit. So, a web page with five pictures will actually show up as six hits five for the pictures and then one for the web page itself. And some uh, blogs have just got boatloads of links. And so 
when a blog, uh, somebody on a blog brags about the number of hits they get, it's a little misleading. Now, on the other hand, a page view is sort of obvious. If, it, if you bring up a page, no matter how many hits you get, it only counts as one time. But suppose that a visitor comes to your blog and they go from one page to another page to another page to another page, four pages. That would be four page views. But if you track that visitor as they go through your website, that would be one visit. So no matter how many pages a particular user goes to on your website, that would be one visit. But each time they bring up a page, that would be a page view. And every time they download a file, whether it's a picture or anything, that would be a hit. So that's it. And a lot of these blog guys that want to brag, they only talk about their hits. Uh-huh. They don't talk about the visits because hits is the biggest is number. Is the biggest number, right. That's right. We got an email from Karen in Newport News. We set up our Wi-Fi router years ago. Now, our Windows 10 laptop and phones log on automatically. Unfortunately, we've forgotten the password. And now we need to connect another computer to the network. Do you know an easy way to retrieve the Wi-Fi password from the router? I'd hate to have to go out and buy another new router if I could avoid it. Did, did they reset it or are they using the one that came with the router? I missed that part. Uh, yeah, they reset it apparently okay. yeah. because if it came with the router, it would be written on the bottom. Yeah. That was, that's what I was going to say. The, the, yeah. the, the code that it comes with is on it. It's in it very small on, letters, but it's on It's it. very small letters. Yeah. So they, they actually had made up a new password because they wanted their own special password and now they don't know what it is. Which is the way to go, well, right? It is the way to go. I've got, I've got all my own passwords. I don't, I don't like to go with those. Plus they're yeah. so complicated. Oh, the I password. Know. That is on the bottom of the router. So complicated. And, and any, you, anytime you want to share it, it's a pain in the neck. And but, the, but, you know, what's that? There, there is there is one good feature. Uh, if you know, they got this WPS for doing things, you know, automatic, automatic uh, um, connection to a Wi-Fi router. So if you if you've got a if, like if you're so, the cell phone support WPS, so you can click the WPS button on your router and then you go in to set the password to just send the password right to it. Uh-huh. So you don't actually have to know what it is. But here's the th- – and I'm, I'm assuming she doesn't have WPS. Mm-hmm. You can actually retrieve the Wi-Fi password, not from your router, because if you, if you, you, can, receive, you can retrieve it from one of the laptops that's logging into it. Because the laptop is remembering it, of course. You just have to know where it's stored. So you, what you want to do, you want to – Open up your laptop and have it automatically log on to the Wi-Fi network. Then you launch the control panel. And then in the control panel, you just click, as you'd expect, network and internet. And then you click on check status because you're checking the status of the network. And then there's, and you scroll down, there's something called network and sharing center. You click on the network and sharing center. And it will list the Wi-Fi network that you're logged on to. Now, what you do, you you right you 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 click you 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 right click on that on the on you on the on the Wi-Fi network that you're on, and then you'll see something come up come up that says wireless properties. That's another window. Then you click the security tab, and then underneath the security tab, there's a little box you can click, and it will show the password. And that's called the it's it's and that password will be there. That's called the network security key. That's what they call the password, network security key. And you click on that little 
uh, box there, and then you'll see the password. And then just write it down, and you've got it. And then you don't have to reset the router. But you, you could have, of course, Karen, reset the router, but you'd have to set up everything again, which exactly. would be a pain in the neck. Yep. Or if you had the original password, you could just read the tag on the bottom, which, which would not be a bad idea either. Well, best of luck with that, uh, Karen. We got an email from Peter in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, our business has gone remote and is using Zoom for weekly staff meetings. Recently, some of our meetings have been interrupted by somebody posting lewd pictures. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, uh, Peter's not saying exactly what these lewd pictures were. I think he just wants to be very, you know, proper. I, and I making crude remarks. <laughs> this is unnerving. <laughs> how, can we, how can Zoom be reconfigured to keep out these unwanted in, unwanted intrusions. Love the show, Peter and Fairfax. We actually use Zoom for all of our staff meetings. We use it for all of our online teaching. Zoom is very easy to use. But I have to say, by the way, when somebody breaks into one of these Zoom meetings, they call this Zoom bombing. We had one, we had a one staff meeting that was Zoom bombed. Uh, well, I found out about it. Yeah, it was our career services was having their weekly staff meeting to talk about placements and their and their, their meeting was Zoom-bombed. So it, that has been a topic at Stratford. So the majority of the Zoom-bomb attacks are not because of the poor security of Zoom. It's because the users are careless and haven't mm -hmm. taken the proper precautions. This is normally the case. Now, Zoom does have some security issues, but this Zoom-bombing is not caused by a security issue. So it happens that uh, if you set your meeting to public and share the link to the meeting, anybody with that link can get into the meeting. Mm -hmm. Now, some people are crazy enough <laughs> to post the link to Facebook. <laughs> you see? Oh, man. Anybody can click on that link and exactly. boom, they're right in the meeting. Oh, man. Now, moreover... You can do searches. You can search for zoom.us and you'll get a list of of all of the uh, oh, of all of the um, uh, uh, you know teleconferences that that have been that have, where the links have been posted uh -huh. all over the social media site. In fact, Reddit even set up a special subdirectory just for Zoom links. So guys are just having fun with this. So first of all, I mean it, it's pretty simple. Don't share your link publicly. Mm -hmm. That's probably the ob most obvious thing you could do. You don't post the link to a Facebook page. You send it out or don't put it in a promotional tweet. Uh, send it out in a private method, like with email. Now, right. you could also set your meetings to private. Now, that would require that everybody have to put in a password. Now, most of the um, Zoom... Uh, moderators don't like all that password stuff because then the people there, you know, all their users right. are having trouble getting, getting and into the thing. So, and the meeting goes on forever. And yeah, I know. So it's, so it's a problem. Now there's another thing, <clears throat> each person, if you have a zoom account, each person has a zoom ID and that's, and that, and they call that, that's your personal zoom room with that zoom ID and that zoom ID never changes. Ever. So if somebody knows your Zoom ID, they can reconstruct 
the Zoom link on their own. Mm -hmm. And they can Zoom bomb you anytime they want. So uh, it's better uh, if you're setting up a meeting uh, to set up a new meeting and have a new Zoom ID assigned to that meeting. And it's a one-time use ID. Then that way somebody's not going to get your personal Zoom ID and be able to Zoom bomb you whenever they want. So that's probably... That's probably not a bad idea. So you can see most of the Zoom bombing was just caused by, you know, sloppy operation. But Zoom, Zoom has just exploded. It has 19, it has like, you know, 20 times the number of users today that they had a year ago. Well, it's, it's just gone through the roof. Funny you mention that because while you're talking, I, I was wondering what Zoom is trading at. And they, and they trade on NASDAQ. They closed the day yesterday at 128.20 a share, up uh, six bucks, and that's a 5.14% increase. And just for perspective, their 52 week low was 59.94, and their high 164.94. So uh, they're doing pretty good. They're, they're, they're doing extremely well. They, they set up a, a system that was really easy to use. Mm -hmm. they, we used to use Adobe Connect for all of our video conferencing, and Zoom undercut them by a lot. It was a lot cheaper to switch to Zoom. So they. They undercut it. Um, I'll talk a little bit later. They do have some security issues. So they've stopped developing new features now with Zoom yeah. and ju just to deal with all the security issues. But I, I think it's a, it's a good product, but they grew a little too fast and didn't put a enough emphasis on privacy and um, insecurity. But we're, we're, we use it for all of our online classes, and the students love it because it's, it's so convenient to use. Excellent. Oh, and the other – oh, the last – piece of advice here uh -huh. because a lot of this zoom bombing they post pictures so what you should do is you can put that screen sharing is host only ah. so they can't put these lewd pictures these lewd up pictures, right yeah which you can imagine what that they would, would be man yeah not good i mean that would be Especially you're having this like really a bible study group or something like that uh, but uh, listen and, and you know and th those are probably the exact groups that the, that they want to target <laughs> that's probably because because the whole thing is just to irritate these exactly. people exactly right just irritate them and and they it, it's well they 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 focus on two things sexual comments and racial slurs mm -hmm. those are those are the those are the go-to insult areas and um, so people have been talking about this. Now, even the FBI is saying that they may start uh, making this a crime to Zoom bomb because it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, like it's like terrorism yeah. or something. And so that, so they're thinking of charging people that do Zoom bombing. But I've not heard anybody yet who's been charged for Zoom bombing. There's a lot going on right now. That's it's, right. We got an email from Alice in Alexandria. Dear Tech Talk, I recently bought a Windows laptop after my MacBook died. My, back, my MacBook used to start up with the same programs and websites that I had uh, when, when I shut it down. And when I restart it, everything is there just like it was. It's, I, just, I love that feature. Is there any way that Windows can do that? Because when, when I log into Windows, it just comes up with a new screen and everything I had is gone. Well... Alice Windows does have a special shutdown mode that saves a copy of everything that's in the system. It saves it, it, it saves everything that's in the system's RAM. It saves it to a special file on the hard drive. And then when you rest and then it shuts down completely, turns off. And then when you restart the computer, it goes to that special file, loads all that information into RAM, 
and you have the, exactly the same programs and exactly the same web pages in your browser. It's in the exact state you left it when you shut it down. Now that mode is called hibernation. And if you select hibernation on shutdown, you'll be able to pick up right where you left off. Now, the nice thing is the computer's actually off. It's not like the sleep mode where it, where it goes into uh, you know, a low level of operation, but it's still consuming power. It actually is shut down. It's just that it saved all the configuration, all the information on the hard drive. In the sleep mode, the RAM is still active, and so all of that data is stored in RAM, but your computer's still on. So but your screen is off, but your computer's still on, so still using power. Whereas if you go into hibernation mode, it's actually turned off, and it's, instead of storing the data in active RAM, it's storing it on a, on a file on the hard drive. Now, the problem is that um, the default mode for Windows 10 is to not show the hibernation option. So you're going to have to go to setup, and you go to power on options, and click on the hibernation button so that you'll have the hibernate when you... Uh, when you use it. I use Hibernate. It's really convenient. Listen, we love your emails. Can I emails. have a question? Yes. Can I have a mm -hmm. sidebar for a second? Sure. You, this brings to mind a question. I have a friend, Alice, who is a music teacher, and she got a new um, she, she got a new Mac. She got a, a Mac Air, and she's trying to download her, her new contact list because she teaches music by Skype now. And it's downloading the old list. She'd rather do her Google uh, list. Is there a way to is there a way to change that? Because you can only download one list of contacts, right? With a Mac. I don't know. I. It seems like you could do more than one huh. list of contacts. So she's but she's downloaded. So she has the Google list, and then she has a Skype list. She has These a list that's like a .me list or something like that, and it and it's going to the .me list, which is an old list, and she'd like to get rid of that and go to the Google list, which is what she really needs to use. And it won't let her do it. So she's got the. Uh, so what did she? She, re, she got a new computer and then she restored it. Uh, or where's she getting the .me list? She's, oh, she's getting it from the cloud, I guess. From the cloud, exactly. Well, it should be possible. Let me All let right, me well, uh, let me do let me do a re little bit of research on the gym. That. Sorry, and sorry I'll, to I'll do handle a... it. I'll handle it in the mailbag next week. That sounds great. Thank you, sir. I appreciate okay. it. Okay, you're about to say. Did yep, you like I our emails? Oh, yeah, we love it. We love your emails. <laughs> email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It is Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford 
Stafford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Yes, today we're going to feature Thomas Reardon. Thomas Reardon is an American computational neuroscientist. Say best that known, twice. Yeah, best known for creating Microsoft Internet Explorer back in the day and co-founder of Control Labs, where, where they are developing devices for mental control of biometric devices. Now, Thomas Reardon was born in 1969 in New Hampshire. Now, his nickname, they call him T.R. That's just, everybody calls him <laughs> T.R. for short. <laughs> that must have been That was from really a long hard to time. come up with. Yeah, it was really a tough <laughs> nickname to come up with. Now, he was a prodigy in math and science. So while he was still in high school, he was taking graduate-level math classes and graduate-level science classes at MIT. Just for the heck of it. Mm-hmm. Now, he didn't actually graduate from MIT. He just They just let him take these classes. And then <clears throat> at age 16, he decided he was ready to break out into the world and start a business. He was an entrepreneur. So he never, he never went to college. He went down to North Carolina and started uh, a business, some, some technology company. And uh, he started that at, at age... Uh, Oh, he started at age 16. He moved to North Carolina when he's 16. And at age 19, he started this found up and he, he ran that found up for about a year. And then he sold it, made a good hunk of money. And then when he sold it, he met Bill Gates and Bill Gates convinced him to join Microsoft. So he joined Microsoft, um, as a pro as a program manager on the windows on windows 95 and on windows 98 projects. Now, he served as the program manager and the architect for Internet Explorer through version 4 of IE. And this was back in the day when, if you remember, Microsoft was really late to enter the world of the Internet. They, didn't, they, they were really um, outmaneuvered by Netscape. And Netscape, had a, Netscape Navigator was, a, was really a great uh, browser that they had back then. And so Microsoft was late to the game. And... Uh, Thomas Reardon was the guy leading this effort. So he, he led it up through version four and he ended up by the time they got to version four, you know, having more browsers installed than there were Netscape navigators installed. So he basically engineered the winning of the browser war. They, they say the first browser war. He also implemented cascading style sheets on internet Explorer three. That was a standard where you could actually separate the formatting from the text. And all your formatting information was contained in cascading style sheets. And you could simply tag things 
with names on the cascading style sheet, and it would be formatted according to how you'd want it. And you could change the whole formatting of a website by simply attaching another cascading style sheet. So it was a great way to separate text from formatting. Now, he also was the one who got the idea to bundle Internet Explorer with Microsoft Windows. Mm -hmm. And that's what got Microsoft in trouble for... <laughs> That's what got them. That's why they got this Department of Justice uh, lawsuit against them. Because once they bundled IE and Windows, boom, they won the battle. Because mm -hmm. people just had it right there, and it was and it was really, really set. Now he was a believer in standards. He was a founding board member of the World Wide Web Consortium, uh, W. Uh, 3C, that, that is the organization that Tim Berners-Lee set up to sort of standardize things on the web. And Reardon was a big man in standards. He, he helped establish, in addition to cascading style sheet standards, he helped establish the HTML4 standards, which basically gave you animation on the, um, on the web page. He also established the XML standards, that's extensible markup language standards. And that, by the way, when I write the uh, podcast file to upload it so we can, have, we can have the podcast on Apple iTunes and various other places, I write that in XML, extensible markup language. And so he was instrumental in developing those standards. But what happened was he had, he had to appear in court in these, uh, you know, these antitrust court cases caused by the Netscape fight and the great browser war. And he just got fed up with it. He just got fed up with Microsoft because of all of that court action. And he left in 2001. He only, he was only there for 10 years. And he, and he, he went to, uh, to start a wireless network, uh, networking, um, a wireless networking company called Avogadro. He was there for about a year and then he decided to join OpenWave. This was a mobile software company, and there he serves as general manager, vice president, finally CTO. At OpenWave, he worked on developing the first mobile web browser. So he was really into the internet and browsers and internet standards. And then he, uh, he was named in 2003 by the MIT Technology Review magazine as one of the top 35 innovators under 35. I mean, it's a, it's a tough list to get, but at yeah. that time he was actually 34. He just made the list by one year, <laughs> but he had been, he'd been so instrumental in coming up with internet standards and browser standards that they thought this guy was, uh, was really good to go. But in 2003, he said, you know, I've had it with technology. He said, you know, it's the same old, same old. He just got fed up with everything. And so he went back to college. He went back to Columbia University, and he went to the general education department, and he started studying classics, you know, the great books. Right, yeah. And he, and he, he wanted to understand the broad sweep of humanity and all of the lessons that humanity has learned as we went through the ages. It turns out he was inspired to broaden his worldview by a physicist, Freeman Dyson, who was up, he was at Princeton, and Freeman was, uh, you know, he, he was quite an innovative guy. He worked in number theory, 
Freeman Dyson. He was he worked on developing a, a, a small nuclear reactor. He was pushing for nuclear power aboard aircraft, um, I mean, aboard rocket ships. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so he was actually sort of kind of uh, an eclectic kind of guy who was into everything. And because he was kind of this renaissance kind of physicist, he advised um, he advised Thomas Reardon. He said, look, broaden your focus. Just don't become an expert on tech. Learn many, many things, and you'll be a better person. So because of, of Freeman Dyson's advice, he went back and started studying the classics at Columbia. It's really interesting. And of course, he did all of work at Microsoft. He never did get a college degree, you know. He took all yeah. these graduate classes, and he just went went to startup, went to work Microsoft. And so finally, he decided to make his mom and ha mom and dad happen. He went back <laughs> and, and got a bachelor's paper. degree at Columbia. And they said, Freeman, what? I mean, Thomas, you got a mat, you got a bachelor's degree at Columbia in general studies. How are you going to make any money doing that? But he already was he, making money. He was already making money. He had already made good money. But it happened that while he was studying the classics, he he happened to read a paper on uh, neurobiology. It was in, in a popular science magazine, and he read it, and he says, you know, I don't understand this. This is fascinating. I think this is where the future is going to be. So he went to... He went to um, Duke University and he got a master's of science in neurobiology in 2010. Then he came back to Columbia and he got a PhD in neuroscience and behavior from Columbia University in 2016. So now he finally got his bachelor's, his master's and his PhD. And he was fascinated with this neurobiology because he felt because he'd worked on the, um, the, 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 the user-computer interface on Microsoft Windows and with the mouse. And he said what he noticed was that men would invent all kinds of new devices, and then uh, they would be hard to use, and then humans would have to adapt to whatever that user interface was. So instead of the device itself adapting to the human, the human had to adapt to the device. And he felt that we were not making great strides in this area. So he decided that he wanted to create an interface between the human and the device that would force the device to adapt to the human. So they started a company in 2015. He and his co-founder, who was going to, they were going to, going to school together there at Columbia. They were both neuroscientists. They founded Control Labs in 2015. This was a year before he got his PhD. And the flagship device was actually, looks like a watch on your wrist. It's black. It's about uh, three quarters of an inch wide, about a quarter inch thick. And it's, it's on your wrist. And it uh, runs by batteries. And what that flagship device does, it detects signals that are passing down your arm, neurosignals going to the hand. And, and it can decode those signals. They call it, this device has been called the API for the brain, Application Programming Interface for the Brain, by TechCrunch. And it's called by CNBC, the wristband to let human beings control machines with their mind. 
So in other words, you'd be able, if you were an amputee, you could uh, control your uh, your prosthetic de- device better than... Completely. Right. Yeah. You, you, it's you could, almost you could like do... a part of your body now. It's a part of your body. So what the, the sort of the breakthrough here, this was a non-intrusive way to connect to the neural signals. See, uh, Elon Musk has proposed, you know, hanging a wire out of your head and, and actually <laughs> bolting, actually connecting it directly to the brain. That's fairly intrusive. That's pretty intrusive. You, be, you become a true cyborg. Uh-huh. But this was, and so what they did is that they started, uh, the, and the reason they did that, uh, they is that when you look at the number of signals coming out of the brain, uh, a high percentage of them go to the hand mm-hmm. because the hands have so many movements and so many options available that that's the most sophisticated neural communication mechanism in the body going to the hand. So they said, so all they had to do was put this this device on the wrist and they could intercept all those signals going to the hand. That was the idea. And then you could and then you could have those signals do anything. Now, here was the sort of the uh, sort of the genius of this. You intercept the signals, but then you got to figure out well what what do they mean and what do you want to do with them? So what they did, they they in, they, they put a process of, 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 of an artificial neural network processor between the wristband and the device, and then the neural net would adapt. So if you wanted to tell the device to do A, you could think about it, and then the network would then look at whatever signals are going down your arm. And then it would try to figure out which signal would correspond to A. And you could basically, over time, you could train the device. You could train this, it's this artificial, they now call it machine learning, this machine learning layer. You could train it to do what you want. And so essentially the machine is learning how to communicate with you through those signals that are coming down your, your arm. Mm-hmm. And so it was actually quite amazing. And so he said in the beginning, they, they, could, they could get a, like a hand that would move like you would want. But later on, you could just think about what you'd want your hand to do, and you wouldn't even move your hand, but the prosthetic hand would move on its own mm-hmm. because it was anticipating what you wanted to do just by the nerve signals. But then you could do many more things with it. I mean, so they were actually, because of this artificial neural net, that, so they had a very great way to pick up the signal and that, but it's the machine learning that made, that made the impact here. So they're thinking that this could be for all sorts of rehabilitation for patients recovering from a stroke or an amputee, as you said, Jim, mm-hmm. yeah, somebody has amputee, the signals are going down there and then you, they just don't you, have you any ex- place to go. They don't have any Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, MS, all these, all these nerve degenerative diseases could be taken up with this. So they started in 2015. They, they got their last round of financing, Series B financing of $28 million, Series B financing in $28 million. They, they got funding from Google and Amazon and a bunch of other VCs. They, they, they actually raised a total of $67 million all told. And they, at their peak, they, they, they had around 45 PhDs working on them and half of them were neuroscientists and, and machine learning people because machine learning is where the action is. Mm-hmm. Now here's what happened. This was the big disappointment to me. I thought this was really great promise for changing the world. 
In September of 2019, Control Labs was purchased by Facebook. Oh, boy. Yeah. For between $500 million and a billion dollars. And now Reardon is now director of research science at the Facebook Reality Labs. You know what they're working on? Virtual reality. Oh. You know, because Facebook yeah. bought Ocular, the Ocular VR goggles, virtual reality goggles, Ocular. So I think what they, they want to do is they, they want to do virtual reality where you can just sort of think about it and your virtual reality will change. I, I don't know. I hope they don't. I hope they don't lose focus on their mission. Yeah. Trying to change the world with this technology. But I mean, because that's what, groundbreaking. It is groundbreaking. And it's uh, and it actually is working. I, I looked at uh, I looked at these videos of, of things that they've done. I mean, they've made enormous strides very quickly because of this of this machine learning interface between the uh, neural signals and whatever device they want to control. So you, 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 and you get better at it. So people who start using it, they begin to know how to, how to control the signals in these nerves and they can see what happens. And just through a feedback loop, they, they can, they, they basically can train the device to respond to whatever they're thinking. So it's an, it's, they think about it and the device does it. It's quite amazing. This, um, this, this breakthrough and, and this Thomas Reardon had this, you know, tremendous interesting career you know he just went out and started stuff in technology then he went back and studied the classics because he wanted to broaden his um, his experiences so I, I think this guy's quite an innovator i'm going to be watching for him i didn't really know about him until recently i, I started looking at this control labs because i was interested in that and i sort of backed into the rest of the story so there you go everything you want to know about thomas reardon an American computational neuroscientist best known for creating Internet Explorer and founder, co-founder of Control Lab. It's Saturday morning and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Stay tuned. The Pop Quiz, next. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. 
Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, we have a Zoom audience, Jim. I know. This audience is zooming into the studio. They are zooming into the virtual studio at the virtual faculty lounge. They're zooming into the virtual studio, and fortunately we have not been Zoom-bombed so far, which would be, we'd we'd be thrown off the air if we had a Zoom bomb. You have used the proper security measures to make sure that doesn't happen. Exactly. Press ahead now. Oh, yes. So this is not simply a radio show. This is a classroom of the airways. What? It is. Of course. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed, it is. So what are we going to do here? We're going to go on to... um... Well, you don't remember the question. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've got to ask the question. Yes, that's what we do. Yes. So this is the thing. A classroom of the airways. What we're doing is we're going to ask a question. If you get the right answer... To the pop quiz, you'll get an A-plus for today's show, plus you will get two tickets to fine dining at one of our dining rooms. Now, early in the show, I was talking about uh, Thomas Reardon. I'd already moved on, Jim. I'd asked the question mentally, you but asked never asked me- it physically. Ah, <laughs> using AI, you asked the question. Using AI, yeah. I've got this wristband on. I thought, well, <laughs> I do know, but it, it didn't actually go through the system. So, early in the show, I talked about Thomas Reardon, and he had an interesting uh career in that he went into technology, did an Internet Explorer, started a company, sold it, and then in the middle of his life, he just stopped everything, and he went back to Columbia and started studying general education and the classics to try to understand Western civilization. Why? Who talked to him to have him actually make that radical shift in his education and direction in life? All right, here's the question. If you know the answer to today's question... Now's the time to pick up your device and give us a call. You've got nothing else to do. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're trying to figure out how to spell Avogadro in Canada, call us on the wildcard line. 877-936-9333. Anyone else? Anywhere else? First pick up a Clorox wipe, then dial us on the international line. 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you very much. Let's yes. talk about folding at home. Folding at home I've been folding is... lots of towels at home. Yeah, folding it on. Well, I'm different. doing all that kind of folding. But this is something <laughs> different. This is actually a distributed compu- computing project. And what they're doing, they are folding proteins because it's very complicated to figure out how proteins will fold. Mm-hmm. And, the, and if they fold different ways, they have different behaviors. And so Stanford has created the Folding at Home Distributed Computing Project. And what you do is you download a piece of software to your computer. And when you're not using your computer, they use your computer's processing power to contribute to the solution. And they want to get thousands, millions of computers working on this thing, and they can accelerate their progress. So Folding at Home is now working on treatment therapies for 
the coronavirus. Now, they basically use the processing capacity of network computers to simulate the con complex processes of protein folding, which helps them determine how to treat diseases like Alzheimer's disease or cancer or SARS or any other coronavirus. For a coronavirus, the first step of infection occurs in the lungs when a protein on the surface of the virus binds to receptor protein on the lung cell. This viral protein is called a spike protein. Proteins aren't stagnant. They wiggle, they fold, they unfold, they take numerous steps, shapes. So we need to, to study not only one shape for the viral spike protein, but always that the protein can wiggle and fold into alternate shapes. And studying how these folds will eventually happen will help researchers develop drugs that could treat the infection. Now, you can go, you can download the software. What you want to do, you go to foldingathome.org, foldingathome.org, and you can download software for either Windows, a Mac, or a Linux machine, and you install this software, and whenever you're not using your computer, it will take over and do the calculations, and you can contribute your computer processing power for the good of humanity. There you go. Doc, we have somebody on the phone who would like to play our game. Okay. Let's go to the old POTS line, line number one. Here's Ken from Laurel. Ken, good morning. How are you? All right, just fine. Good. Doc, go ahead and ask the question, please. Yeah, earlier in the show, we talked about Thomas Reardon, of course, the uh, creator of Microsoft Internet Explorer and founder of Control Labs. What motivated him to go back to Columbia and start taking gen ed classes on the uh, get a degree in the classics it was an experience with uh, freeman dyson that is correct correct and, uh, very good hang on a second here we're going to put you back on hold send you back to andrew and he will take your information and we're going to take a short break it's saturday morning you're listening to tech talk radio on federal news network 1500 am 103.5 fm hd2 103.9 fm hd2 and in loudon county at 104.5 fm Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. We want to talk about the product of the week, the Microsoft Power Toys. Mm. 
You're all you know, about they the had, toys. I'm all about the toys. Well, Microsoft has always had power toys, but, you know, we had them for previous versions of Windows. We didn't have them for Windows 10. And I've missed my power toys. <laughs> well, now it turns out that now they're releasing power toys for Windows 10. Now, this is an open source project. So that means a lot of people are contributing code to these power toys. And they just released uh, version... 0.16, which means it's not fully, it's like, mean, it's going to be development. The final version is going to be released September of 2020, they're estimating. But they actually have, you know, four or five uh, nice toys in here that are, that are pretty nice. Now, the power toys are on GitHub. This is where people store open source projects. So it's, it's in, if you're interested in how open source projects work, it's kind of interesting to go to GitHub. You can, you can look around at the, uh, at the code. You can download the code if you want to contribute. And so there's a way to contribute code to this open, you know, open source process. Or you can download the code as they release it. So I'm, I, I put in a link to the, to, the, uh, to the Power Toys, and you can download the code uh, for your particular um, Windows, Windows 10 machine. But, but, but they have uh, one, um, you know, they have got four, uh, four new power toys that came out. The one that I really like the most is called a power rename. Remember I remember earlier we said that Microsoft did not have a way to to rename a a, a block of of files mm -hmm. or change the dates on them. So and, and and you had to go to a third party software to do it. Well now there's a power rename which is a bulk file rename and you can you can change all the attributes in bulk and it's really a nice interface. It's better easier to use than the third party sites. There's also an image resizer. Like, have you ever, like, you're trying to post stuff to the web and you got like, yeah, twenty pictures. You want to make them all the same size, mm -hmm. so you can you can highlight them all and you and you can do that in bulk as a, as a bulk resizer. That's kind of nice. Yeah, it is nice. They've got a, They've got a zone based uh, Windows manager. You know how Windows has all kinds of different. You have windows. You, you could tile them. You could overlay them. You could move them around. And you might have a particular configuration that you like for your workflow. So you can actually use fancy zones, and it will allow you to create these this window configuration easily. And you could flip between window configurations, which is convenient for some people who use different window configurations for different workflows. And one thing I like, they've got a, a shortcut guide, because, you know, Windows got a boatload of shortcuts. So you mm -hmm. just click on this, and the, the whole shortcut, uh, shortcut guide comes up. I think it's really interesting, those of you interested in software development, to sort of watch how this open source project evolves on GitHub. And those of you that would like to get a job as a developer, you really need to get a GitHub account because frequently what they'll do, the interview, they'll ask to see samples of your code that you've uploaded to GitHub and some open source projects. So if you want to really get into the development world, you need to start contributing to some open source projects on GitHub. It's really good advice. Zoom has, is freezing all feature development, and they're going to work on their privacy issues. It, it, Zoom, listen, Zoom, uh, Zoom has, has really grown dramatically in the last year. La last December, last December, they had 10 million users. Now, we're in April. Now, they have 200 million users. In just four months, they went from 10 million to 400 in just four months, and it has just choked them. 
and they weren't really expecting this huge growth in uh, in users. And so now, uh, because so many people are using Zoom, that has become a great target for hackers. Mm-hmm. So now they're going back, and the the CEO Eric Wan has announced he's freezing all development and they're just going to work exclusively on privacy improvements and on security improvements for the next 10 days. Also, Zoom had another problem. turns out they were selling your data. Uh-oh. On, on, uh-oh. They, 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 people, somebody discovered that. And, uh, and they, they, they had a class action lawsuit over its data collection practices. They also were telling people that they had end-to-end encryption but they really didn't have end-to-end encryption because it was possible for employees to listen in on your video conference call. So it wasn't end-to-end. It was end-to-Zoom and then Zoom to the other end. And in the middle, they could listen. So they, they got a little heat over that. So I think Zoom's going to have to fix a few of these issues. I got confidence they can do it now if they're focused on it because I like Zoom yeah. and I want them to succeed. Yeah. Now, Google is publishing location data that can track lockdowns. This is really interesting. They, you know how we, you know, we've talked about how they, how they know exactly what you're, where you're looking and where you are at all times. So what they've done, they've taken all of this location data and they can tell how many people are at work now, as opposed to at home, how many people are in transit stations, how many people are in the parks. So they're taking the aggregate GPS data from all the cell phones, and they can give a state-by-state account of how well we're doing social isolation. So, for instance, let's look at uh, Virginia. Okay. Virginia, for retail and recreation, the uh, we're down 39% in terms of people visiting retail stores or recreation sites. Groceries are down 16%. Parks are up 46%. Transit stations are down 50%. So you can, you can look state by state, country by country. It's a great thing. You just want to search for COVID-19 Community Mobility Report. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk.edu. We'll back to you as soon as we can. And we'd like you to check out our programs on the Stratford University website, www.stratford.edu. Check out all of our programs and tell them you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.